Well, uh, we are well into Lent now. After Ash Wednesday, we've already journeyed for about 10 days, and today is the second Sunday of Lent. Last Sunday, we went into the desert with Jesus, remember? He was there for 40 days, and Lent lasts for 40 days. And we learned last Sunday that we are on a serious desert journey, that we're dealing with all sorts of hardships, including the temptations that Satan continually uses to block our progress, to distract us, to discourage us. Well, this Sunday's Gospel takes us up a mountain, a high mountain, and the, the whole scene is different. It's almost like we're in a different season. No longer a barren desert, but a high mountain. No longer trials to endure, but a moment of glory to treasure. What happened on this high mountain? The mysterious event that we call the transfiguration of the Lord. Ang pagbabagong anyo ni Jesus. Among the mysteries of the rosary, this is the fourth mystery of light. And it really is a mystery of light. I mean, Jesus is transformed by a burst of light, and it's not a light that shines on him, it's a light that comes forth from him. Very suddenly, like, like when we see a flash of lightning in, in the darkness of the night, the three apostles who are there on the mountain with him, they see Jesus in a whole new way, we say a whole new light. They see that he's no ordinary man. His face is no longer the face of a man. They, they're looking at the face of God. And as if that were not enough to overwhelm them, suddenly two more glorious figures appear, Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets, the whole tradition of the Old Testament, and they're conversing with Jesus. By this time, the apostles are completely astonished. And in this mixture of joy and wonder and fear, Peter blurts out how, how good it is that we are here. He's stunned. He's stunned. But he also wants this extraordinary moment to last. And so he comes up with this idea of setting up three tents. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I'm not sure what he was thinking. Maybe he's thinking if there's a place to stay, they won't go to heaven. They won't go back to heaven. They'll stay there for a while. Or he and uh, James and John will be able to stay there for a while, make this last. Anyway, the, the gospel says that Peter hardly knew what to say. He hardly knew what he was even thinking. But, as if that were not enough to overwhelm them, there's more. A cloud, and from the cloud, a voice, and it turns out to be the voice of God the Father himself, who says very clearly, this is my beloved son, listen to him. It's a wow moment, it's one of the most wow moments in the whole Bible. These apostles, all their lives they've been told to listen to Moses and Elijah. And here, God himself is telling them, listen to him. 
Listen to him. So this is a revelation and a declaration of the, of the true identity of Jesus. He's no ordinary man. He's a man who is God, the Son of God, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, we say every Sunday. That's who this is. And now the apostles have it exposed before their very eyes on the mountaintop. And then just as suddenly, as suddenly as it all started, it ends. Everybody disappears and they find themselves alone on the mountain with Jesus. But there's no forgetting this moment. It's a life-changing experience, mountaintop experience. Now let's take a moment to reflect on, on this event and on what it means, both for the apostles and for us. And that will help us understand why the church ponders the transfiguration on the second Sunday of Lent. Well, in the case of the apostles, Jesus knows what's coming up. And he knows that they are not ready for what is to come. He's headed toward Jerusalem, and there he will suffer and be rejected and be killed and rise again. And he's already told the apostles about this, and they didn't understand it. They didn't even want to hear it. Peter, Peter himself, who's on the mountain, he protested and said, no, that should never happen. That should never happen to you, Lord. Now, we can't blame the apostles. I mean, who, who wants to hear about suffering? Who wants to be told that we will suffer in the future or that our loved ones will suffer? Or that we will die? No one wants to hear that even though it's true. We were reminded of this very fact at the very beginning of Lent, the first day of Lent, Ash Wednesday, we were told, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's a hard thing to remember. We don't like to remember it. Anyway, Jesus' concern is that the scandal of his passion and the cross is going to be so disturbing, so dis discouraging, that they will give up. They will give up before the conclusion, which is the resurrection. So, so he gives them this vision, this glorious vision, which is a preview, a foretaste of what comes after the cross. What comes after the cross? Of course, the resurrection, eternal life in glory. That's what Peter, James, and John glimpse on the mountaintop. And it's so powerful, it's so convincing, that it should, it should be enough to sustain them. It should give them enough strength, enough hope to persevere through the dark days to come. You see how God does things? This, this is a lesson in how God does things. He doesn't always prevent or take away suffering. He doesn't, and that's what we want. That's what we think is the most obvious solution, but that's not what he does. Rather, he gives us strength, and he gives us hope, so that when we suffer, we can keep going. We can see that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Even if we can't see that light right now, we know it's there. That's this glimpse of the transfiguration. So let's explain something of, of what the transfiguration meant for those three apostles, Peter, James, and John. And it also helps us grasp what it means for us. Because 
We need this. Now, in a sense, we don't need a preview of what is to come because we already know that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. That was a long time ago. It already happened. For the, for the disciples, it had not yet happened. It had not yet been revealed, even though Jesus spoke about it. They couldn't get it. But for us, it's a well-established fact. And we know very well that five weeks from today, we're going to be celebrating Easter Sunday, the resurrection. But the Lord knows a lot can happen in five weeks. A lot can happen in one day. And even though we know by faith that God is victorious over all suffering, over all sin, even over death itself, it can be very hard to persevere on this journey through the desert, this, through this valley of tears. We weaken, we fall, we get tempted, we get distracted, we get discouraged, and, and things can just look hopeless to us, sometimes so burdensome that we can hardly imagine any good coming out of all this. I think of the, the people in eastern Ukraine. Right now, it's two years already the war has gone on. Or think about the people in Gaza right now, especially in southern Gaza. How can, how can it look like there's something good in the future when the present is so bad? Sometimes it's very hard to believe that God is good and that he really loves us. And we don't have to be in Gaza. We can be right here in Las Piñas. We could be right here today. That it could look like life is so burdensome, so hopeless that we can't go on. That can be. That can be our experience. But what are we supposed to do? What can we do? Well, we can take seriously the clear guidance of the Father who speaks from heaven and, and tells us to look to his beloved Son and to listen to him. Sabi ng Diyos Ama, ito ang minamahal kong anak, pakinggan ninyo siya. Listen to him. Listen to him. To listen to him means to give space in our mind and in our heart to the word of God. To listen means to let that word sink in and to put it into practice, to do what he says. So our hope is not our real hope is not that we won't suffer. We will. Sorry, we will. And our hope is not that we'll just be tough enough to handle it. We're not tough enough. No one is. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in God and the strength that He provides. He provides what we need. Maybe it's not what we think we need, but it is what we need. The strength, the, the hope to persevere. He knows and provides all that we need all the time, including when, when times are dark. Maybe especially when times are dark and when we see no way forward. When we're not on a mountain of transfigured glory, but we are on a mount, the mountain of Calvary. So that's the great lesson. Now I have one last thought I'd like to share about the transfiguration because many times people have this idea, and it could happen to any one of us, you say, well, why does God favor other people and not me? Why, do, why does he show his glory to Peter, James, and John and not to the rest of the apostles and not to the rest of us? How many people have seen a glorious vision of, of Jesus transfigured? Probably none of us. 
But we, we wonder this, and the, the other apostles wondered too, I'm sure. Why, why those three? Why did they get the privilege? And so this, these questions come to mind. Why do some people have what seems like great mountaintop experiences that they can share about with everybody, how great God has been to them, and the rest of us have ordinary, boring lives, and we just do ordinary things? Well, if that's one of your questions, let me tell you a secret. If you have faith, and if you come to Mass, which is I hope everyone here, you have enough faith and you come to Mass, this is the secret. Here at Mass, you experience a miracle that is much greater than the Transfiguration. I'm talking about the miracle of the Eucharist. The miracle of the Eucharist. Now, why do I say that? You might say to me, well, that doesn't look, doesn't look very glorious. <laughs> I don't see any light shining out of that tabernacle. I, but this is, this is the, the thing. I just think about the comparison. In the Transfiguration, the person of Jesus is revealed, right? We see who he really is. But it's still the same person. It's still Jesus before, during, after. Right? It's, he's still on the mountain, and he's still God and man, even though he looks different at the beginning, during, and after. So that means the only thing that really changed at the Transfiguration was the appearance. The appearance. Padmabagum anyo. But in the case of the Eucharist, the opposite is what happens. The appearances don't change at all. What looks like bread and wine, well actually it is bread and wine right now, it was sitting on a table back there. It is bread and wine, it looks like it and it is. And it still looks like bread and wine after the consecration. But in fact, a much more marvelous change takes place, not a change of appearance only, but a change of substance, of what's really there, from bread and wine to the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We don't call it transfiguration. We call it transubstantiation, a change of the substance. And that's a greater miracle by far. Not just a change of appearances, but a change of what's really there. So, so don't sit here, especially at Mass, and envy, envy Peter and James and John, or envy anybody who has had a great high, a great moving experience. If you're here at Mass, you are in the presence of a miracle that surpasses the miracle of the Transfiguration. And you don't have to set up three tents to, to preserve the memory of it. You yourselves, if you can receive Holy Communion, become the tents, each one of us. We all become tabernacles of the miracle so that God who reveals himself also dwells within us. And that's something to treasure. That should be more than enough to sustain us on the long and difficult journey of Lent, the difficult journey of life. So yes, let us listen to him, let us receive him, so that we ourselves can be transfigured by him.